and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 34. So, you, as you've probably noticed, we've not released anything in quite some time. Those of you who know me and Rob may have spotted that um, our band Void Titan has recently released its first EP, and actually we've done like four gigs in less than two months. So it's kind of got in the way of recording, so sorry for the delay getting stuff out. But I'm thinking of having a bit of a change in that Rob's not really got as much time as he used to for doing these podcasts regularly and releasing them like less than monthly is no good at all we need to have a bit more pace than that so for this episode I'm going to try something out and please hit me up let me let me know what you think because this this might just be abysmal to listen to or it might just really get on your nerves although beyond that like it might just be the sign of me slowly having a mental breakdown but because Doing the guest episodes are, are quite difficult because it's it's often getting someone on who will give me four albums I've never heard before. And I've got to, you know, if I've never heard an album before, before I can go and do these one of these long, in-depth kind of reviews, I need to listen to it about five times through. And that takes hours and hours. So what I'm going to attempt to do is going to keep doing the episodes with Rob once every couple of months, try and get some guests on kind of regularly. But as kind of stop gaps in between... I'm going to try doing a few episodes myself, like, more or less, like, I gave this a go, although, sort of, Rob was present for them, with some of those um, full discography discussions, like the hypocrisy one, where I pretty much led on that, and I, I think they kind of sounded okay, so what I'm going to attempt to do here is do, this will be still be in the usual style of our episodes, but, um, yeah, it'll just be me chatting about some albums I already know, so hopefully that can get us... Just a bit more of a regular release schedule. But as I say, please hit me up on all the Facebook, Twitter, email, etc. And let me know if you think these are any good. Um, the other thing we're going to do, like I'm going to start doing these a bit more, is I used to always feel we should play full songs in an episode. like Because it felt it feels a bit wrong editing down someone else's material. But for a lot of the albums I want to cover, that's becoming less and less possible. Like in this episode we've got coming up, like a lot of the bands in it don't have a single song under about eight minutes long, which is just ridiculous. So I think we're going to do a bit more doing like three minute long, like two to three minute long clips of songs. It's a shame because with a lot of these bands, that much time doesn't really show you what they're about. But hopefully the point of these is you hear a shout about the the album and just go and listen to the full album. Like, So I'm going to try that, see if that works a bit better. Um, well, that being said, let's let's jump into this and give this a go. The kind of genre I'll be covering today is the kind of, I would say, a lot of bands from the French black metal scene that I think are, have been, over the years, really pushing black metal forward in a new direction.
so you just heard a bit of um, a bomberation off of Despel Omega's Fas Iti Maledicti in Ignum Eternum. Um, honestly, in terms of French black metal, this is probably the go-to most known album from the entire massively disparate scene. So Despel Omega have been around for quite a while. Like They formed in 1998 out of the ashes of their previous band. And... Uh, this album, Facity, is um, the fourth of six albums. Their earliest stuff and their previous band was very much that traditional black metal, dark throne worship, uh, lo-fi, blasty kind of classic black metal. Um, but what's quite interesting with them is slowly over time, their sound evolved into this more chaotic, more terrifying kind of beast that lesser resembles a lot of the traditional black metal and has almost more in common with bands like Portal or Ulcerate, these kind of, or even like maybe even latter Gorguts where it's kind of a chaotic atmosphere and just like truly terrifying, alienating music with with hardly any room to breathe in it. The difference it has between those bands and themselves is they're clearly rooted in black metal, whereas all the bands I listed before are clearly rooted in death metal. Although it's a subtle difference, I mean, a lot of times these genres are tending together these days. But there is clearly still that hangover of a Dark Throne influence on Despot Omega's sound. So this album came out 2007 on Norma Evalian Diaboli Records. Um... And I feel this was a huge sort of wake-up call in the black metal scene. Because this this is around the time sort of Wattain were getting big as well, where we started having bands, again, injecting some really new energy into, into the sound. Because it, it had become stale, and a lot of traditional black metal does sound really stale and almost a bit tepid and silly these days. And I... I really like uh, this band and the band we're covering later, Blue to Snore, talk about this quite a lot. Of Actually, no, I think it's mainly Blue to Snore that I've read talking about this. But the idea of black metal not really being a specific sound, it's a specific atmosphere. It's a kind of, if your music has this feeling, um, that makes it black metal. Not that it has high-pitched shrieking vocals blast beats, really fast-pitched, distorted guitars. That's not the core of black metal. What the core of black metal is, is this kind of atmosphere of terror, of kind of just, kind of underlying evil. Whereas, like, death metal's more rooted in horror, um, black metal's more rooted in just, like, the philosophy of evil, I guess. And Despot Omega, like, lean into that very hard, like... Lyrical fodder-wise, they're definitely on the kind of God-hating, anti-Christian, kind of, I think, almost orthodox Satanism um, side of things. And that's that works really well with what they do. Like, their lyrics are actually really interesting. Like, as you can tell from the title, there's a lot of kind of, like, over-the-top Latin kind of language in there. And they, they shift between, like, French and English a lot, uh, French, English, Latin, etc., um, yeah, they're, they're quite, they're quite an interesting band, so their evolution was this slow advance up to, like, this is kind of the pinnacle of this particular album, it's the pinnacle of how ridiculously overtop and overbearing they were, like, you could see signs of it on their previous album, and actually, 
the follow-up in 2010, Paracletus, goes quite a different direction to this. It actually becomes a lot more melodic and simplistic, whereas this album is complete madness. Like, so if I dive into kind of what the sound of this album is, it starts with like a kind of long intro, uh, a bomberation, which we heard a bit of earlier, which moves through kind of faux synth orchestra into kind of the start of these really dissonant, creepy sounding guitar melodies and like very, I'd say traditional black metal vocals, but very well delivered vocals. But then when we get to Shrine of Mad Laughter, the first like proper song on the album, everything just explodes out. Like the, like the way the drums are structured on this album is like rather than just like blast beating, it's at the pace of a blast beat where you've got the constant double pedals, but like, it's it's actually programmed drums. But if this is a real drummer, his hands would be going constantly around the kick, around the kit, like very much in the the vein of ulcerate, where it's the huge amounts of use of different toms and cymbals and just weird beats that almost sound like kind of jazzy in a way, but over the top of these really dissonant clashing melodies from the guitar and multiple overlapped vocals. So what I should say with this band is they are very much a studio project. Like, although we kind of know who they are, they keep their identities quite um, secret, especially the main two, um, Hasjel, the guitarist, and uh, Chaos with a K on bass. These two are the kind of core of the band, have been there for a long time. And then we have uh, Miko Aspar on vocals, who joined like sort of halfway through the band's life cycle. He's, um, he's got quite a lot of other projects, whereas the, the other two this is pretty much their main and only thing. Um, the way it's produced as well is quite a departure from the traditional black metal sound. There's there's not really that kind of lo-fi uh, end to it at all. These are like, these are, this is very well recorded, very, very neatly mixed, but it just creates such chaos with like, the drums being so hard to follow what's happening. And because the guitar melodies don't necessarily line up with anything, um, you just, like, especially in this first track, Shrine of Mad Laughter, you're just kind of completely battered over the head with this total assault of noise. When I was listening to this album in preparation, my girlfriend, who, you know, if you've heard some earlier episodes, is very much into extreme metal, just had to leave the room because it was just... It was giving out a headache. It's just too much noise. And it's, it's something you've got to allow yourself to kind of sink into. It won't make total sense in the first couple of seconds. What they do as well, like the album only has four proper songs, like an intro and outro, and then four kind of ten minute long songs. And they move between these moments of utter madness and into kind of slower, more atmospheric se sections, sometimes led by synth and like almost piano sounding keys um still very much in the realm of these kind of terrifying dissonant melodies and like guitars and some more subtle drumming will come in over that and then it will build back up into these huge um kind of blasting sections the first two songs especially bread of bitterness and shrine of mad laughter do this a lot more when we get into the long like the 12 minute epic of the album the the repellent scars of abandoned an election this song actually gets, in a way, more melodic. Like, there, there's actually followable melodies in this. They're, I wouldn't say it's proper hum-along stuff, but it's it's more structured in a, a kind of traditional way. Like, the riffs are more something you'd recognise from other bands. 
and this this actually gives a really nice kind of let up in the middle of the album where you can start getting into things and start discerning exactly what's happening until it builds to more of just yeah more madness and chaos and then the final proper check uh, a chore for the lost is very much in the vein of a shrine of mad laughter where it's just more complex and confusing Miko, the vocalist, really adds something to this album as well because he doesn't just have his one black metal shrieking noise. There's a lot of stuff going on there. There's spoken word sections which are often dropped quite low in the mix and like hard to discern. Um, and then there's kind of he does some kind of sort of almost clean vocal chanting over sections, and often this will be layered under his screams. Just add another melody line in something that already has too many melody lines and all all of this kind of clashing uh just creates a really incredible sound i think as well with despot omega there's a very complete package about them you have like all the album covers i've got a couple of the cds out in front of me now are beautiful. They're all these really intricate, really memorable, but like almost simplistic in a way works of art. And actually they're well worth getting on vinyl or CD or whatever because like the lyric books have these great, um, great illustrations going along with each song. Like um, this one uh, has this kind of image of a kind of like a sort of abstract image of a blackened sun above kind of groups of just people going through suffering and it it fits so nicely with the with the overall kind of feel and imagery the album's going for i think this band really did something very interesting and they seem to inject a very new energy into black metal like a lot have kind of followed in their footsteps since whereas i think especially this album seems to be the really influential one of just taking black metal to a more dark and scary place. Like, the idea of black metal becoming stagnant is, is so much an anathema to what black metal should be, because it's meant to be this alienating, terrifying music, this kind of cult of elitism, and Death Swell Omega are totally in that. Like, the, obviously, it's completely pretentious, it's completely ridiculous, but if you allow yourself to be absorbed by it, it's a really incredibly intense experience. And that's kind of what I want from a lot of... Especially the more punishing end of black metal. I want it to still feel scary. I want it to be slightly hard to listen to. Because those early albums were... Like, when Dark Throne first appeared, they were a really scary band. Like, those those kind of half-focused shots of In the Woodland was terrifying at the time. It now looks laughable and silly. And I think Death Omega have done something very great in completely hiding themselves from the music as well. It may, it means that you can just focus on the sound. There's no images of the band to go with it. They, they don't perform live. They don't really give interviews. Like, you just have the music. And each album is, like, an amazing kind of separate piece. Like, um, I think I possibly prefer the follow-up Paracletus, but I just wanted to cover Fast because it's such a... I think such an important monument in that kind of early 2000s metal where where once again bands are starting to push the bounds of extremity uh there is a few flaws to this album like i think both the intro and outro are almost unnecessary i i kind of like just the core of the four songs um there's other stuff that 
very much leans into the kind of pretension the things of like there's a couple of gaps i think it's between track two and three there's like a gap of just 10 to 15 seconds of complete silence just felt kind of unnecessary but then again i guess it's the whole idea is to further unsettle you because there's a long gap you're like oh is something going wrong with the cd has has my itunes just stopped playing whatever it is and then suddenly hit over the head with just an absolute crushing display of black metal. As well, I had no idea the drums on this album were programmed. It was kind of quite a shock when I started looking up the band that and they don't even seem to mention who did any of the programming. Like the the kind of credits, if you sort of look for like metal archives, are just guitar, bass, and vocals. But it's quite clearly a load of synth, a load of programming. Like the the band are very cagey about like just who's involved and what's going on. And I guess that, that totally adds to their kind of image. Um, it's kind of hard to choose something to play a clip from on this, but I think really we may as well get to the core of it. So we're going to show a short clip from the, the first full-length track on the album, Shrine of Mad Laughter. Oh! 
ridiculous shift in style, we're going to talk about another band who are hugely influential, but in a very different direction. This is the kind of black metal meets post-metal meets shoegaze uh, band Alcest. I've been a huge fan of Alcest since actually around 2010 when the album we're, uh, we're going to cover is uh, like came out. So the album we're covering is their second of five albums, Eclairs de Lune, uh, on Prophecy Productions. Sorry, I'm going to struggle with a lot of the pronunciations because pretty much everything they do is in French and I don't speak much French. Um, Alcest is entirely the brainchild of vocalist and guitarist uh, Nige. Um, Nige is his black metal stage name. Um, he formed the band back in 1999, and you can hear, like, they're very... I'm not a fan of them, but their very early demos and EPs are far more rooted in quite long-form but more traditional black metal with some more melodic elements thrown in there. But then their first full-length, Souvenirs d'un Outremonde, um, in 2007, very much lost the black metal trappings. It's a very, very clean album, very focused on the kind of shoegaze, post-metal end of things. Um, Alcest's sound is a very interesting thing, and I think it's something that's been hugely influential since, but I can't find many examples pre-then. And I could be wrong in this, like, please hit me up, let me know if you can think of some older kind of bands that, like, especially like mid-90s kind of time, that mixed black metal with these kind of post-metal and more traditional sort of rock elements. Alsa's sound is very much um, traditional black metal mixed with beautiful clean tone guitars, very high ethereal clean vocals, and just subtle elements of melody and atmosphere. What, but still, still combined with like the odd blast beat, lots of really fast tremolo pit guitar and and high pitch wailing black metal screams. Um, I would say all five of their albums are near-essential listening if you like your atmospheric music. But for me, and maybe it's just because it's the first one of theirs I got into, I think this is probably the top of the pile. And actually, going on their live sets containing a lot of it still, um, I would say this seems to be the real popular album of theirs. Their, their sound is also like in another step away from the general kind of black metal tone is very um very clean and well produced. The kind of atmosphere they're going for, and like I think Nige is quite a spiritual guy, but um the kind of atmosphere is that kind of it's very reminiscent of the wilds like black metal often is. But it he kind of is more focused in the seasons of spring and summer rather than you kind of autumn and winter frostbitten hell. This this has a a kind of sunshine through through the leaves kind of feel to it everything this album and most of their albums often put me in mind of kind of like sunny forest scapes or kind of like the sun rising over a beach like with the sea there's, there's a lot of imagery of water as well in there um and like i think a lot of the lyrics are focused on kind of like i think regularly he said like they're focused on fairies and um other kind of slightly ethereal fantasy stuff, which is all—it's it, sort of black metal, but wrong. Like it, the the whole the thing, um, Alsace do as well that a few other bands can get right 
is they actually can do happy music. Like, to do happy music that isn't completely empty and devoid of any merit is near enough impossible. I can think of so few examples of a truly kind of happy-sounding song. But I'd say, especially um, the follow-up album to this, uh, Les Voyages de Ami, has some moments of genuine kind of, like, joyous brightness. Uh, this particular album, I think, more is tinged with melancholy. And a lot of what Niche does is this amazing weaving between the emotions of the kind of melancholic and then the joyous. And that kind of move back and forth makes all their albums feel like quite an emotional journey. If you, like, listen to it on headphones and let yourself get sucked into just the the general sounds and ambience, it is really quite a powerful experience. It's quite a short album, actually. It's only only 40 minutes long. Only, well, six songs, five proper ones. And the first half of the album is the two-part um, title track, which starts kind of quite gently and builds into more complex, more heavy... Like, parts that tend towards brutal. This isn't... This still, despite its kind of melodicness, this still isn't music you can show your mum. It's still got trappings of black metal all around it. It's just the songs, and especially the first two are really good examples of this, because they're both about ten minutes long and feature lots of moving parts. Like, you move between kind of very clean tone guitar and clean singing. Often, like, Niche will multi-layer his vocals, like, singing a very high melody and then a slightly lower one underneath, which are doing cool, like, counter-melody overlapping things. And then there'll be multiple overlapping guitar parts, all picking out a different melody. Often one ever so slightly distorted, like, fast picking, and another picking out some, like, hyper-clean guitar, picking out one or two really nice-sounding notes. And then the drums and bass also have an interesting, like, conflicting kind of set of melodies to this. Um, should mention as well, on this album, Niche is the vocalist, guitarist, plays bass, synthesizers, main composer, but we also have Winterhalter on drums, who's been, like, his long-time partner in doing this. On the first album, I believe, I'm not sure whether they're programmed or not, but Niche did absolutely everything. And on this album, he brought in an actual drummer. And I think you can really see a difference, because the drums and bass and so on this album have a really brilliant sound and really nicely cut through the mix and add to what's going on. Um, there's loads of great stuff of songs moving gently between kind of your more harsh black metal. And Niche has an amazing scream, like... So I really like how he screams on this album. It's this really high, like, not even rasping, but it's like, there's just a lot to it. It's a really interesting noise he makes. And his clean vocals are absolutely beautiful. Like, impossibly high as well. Like, some of the things he sings on, say, solar song towards the end of the album. I was convinced there was a guest female vocalist on this. But no, Niche just super high singing range. And if you ever see him live, like, he does a brilliant job of recreating the songs. Like, unlike the band we covered previously, this is very much a band focused on being able to reproduce this live. So they, they pick up a bass player and guitarist uh, slash backing vocalist from the other great band, Led Discret, who are well worth checking out. More more on the kind of um, cleaner end of things. Um, but this album, like, it still has some really nice heaviness and some real rockiness in places. Like, track three, Proceeds to Lumiere, um, has some really kind of, like, like 
it has a bit in the middle that probably builds up to like a you know that kind of like fist pumping like headbang moment but we've but we've still these beautiful melody lines thrown in there because he often doesn't have the two guitars mirroring each other he can do this thing where one is playing a beautiful melody and the other can be locking in the drums and having a, a more powerful kind of kick to it that particular song i really love because it has about five really memorable kind of would be the big hook of the album moments in just this one track and the track before has some of that as well then the second half of the album we really get a kind of change in pace like um a track four we have abysses which is like this two minute kind of atmospheric sort of noise interlude um actually completely composed by Thirsty Tessier, the guitarist of Le Discret and live um, live guitarist for Alcest. Um, and he sort of, I, I believe this is entirely his own creation. And then that gives way to Solar Song, which is one of the tracks that completely moves away from any of the black metal trappings of Alcest. It's super clean, like it's clean vocals throughout. And it, this is one of those ones that really has like the kind of the the hope and melancholy mixed into it perfectly it's just a really it's not too complex it's just a five minute song and it's just mainly following one really beautiful melody throughout and then the closure of the album sur le ocean color de fur um is mostly just one or two clean tone guitars no drums and these just singing this kind of haunting melody and i find that this one particularly is the kind of the the sort of the sad closer to the album like this this album has is probably one of the most melancholic of theirs so of their like of the rest of their catalog um i'd say the next album uh le voyages is really almost on par with this but has the problem it's just slightly longer and one or two of the songs don't hit as perfectly as this whereas say this album's nearly flawless like i never put it on and don't listen start to finish um, whereas that one I can often dip out about halfway through. Then after that we get Shelter, which is probably the least interesting of their fair, just because it has that thing Modern Opeth has. It's because it completely um, does away with the Black Metal element. It's entirely kind of post-rock uh, slash rock slash atmospheric music. And it just doesn't have quite as much going on. But then, um, when we come back to the, the latest album, Kodama, from 2016, that goes right back in. Probably the heaviest thing they've ever released. And that is immensely complex and fascinating and truly up there with the rest of their catalogue. So, say, if you've got any time for this kind of more atmospheric music, I highly recommend checking out everything Alcest have done. I think, much like Death Spell Omega, we'll be revisiting this band on the podcast to focus on a different album at some point in time. Because they're all... They're all very much their own beast. Like, you could put on all five back-to-back and not get bored. Much like Despot Omega as well, another thing I really like about this band is they have beautiful presentation. Like, their logo is brilliant. Every one of their album covers is an amazing piece of art and really nicely evokes what's going on on the album. Like, the sort of this, just the colour palette of each album goes really nicely with with the kind of overall feeling um this one's this this kind of sort of beautiful image of a kind of 
forest spirits um, putting to sleep some guy you know have giant long hair it's it, it's a really cool cover and actually the the reason i got into houses is i saw this album cover and it looks so alien to what you're used to in metal and black metal particularly i was like i just want to know what this band sound like and and it really nicely evoked what's on this album yeah i think niche is i think niche analysis are this massively underrated force in metal because as far as I can see, they push this wave of post metal out there. They they re, like post metal meets the more extreme, and they never seem to have got the recognition. Like I've seen them live quite a few times, but it's always in support of Opeth, in support of Catatonia, in support of Anathema recently. And most of the time, I see them. They're the better band. They're I feel like like. They've created this amazing sound that no one else has replicated, but it's led a lot of other people to the ideas of incorporating more melody, more gentle atmosphere, and less technicality into music that's meant to have a real atmosphere. And I feel that they are really pushing the bounds there. But a lot of people write them off as just being kind of, oh, they're just a melodic band. And I don't think that's quite the case. I think... They have an ability to create an atmosphere that few others can manage. And I really hope this kind of wave of post-black metal continues because I think it's a really interesting sound and it's a very good way for the genre to progress away from the kind of more over-the-top corpse-painted silliness. Um, from this, uh, like, I could go for a lot of it, but I think possibly the best example of just the kind of mix of all the different sounds they do is we'll play a short passage from the part two of the title track.
so uh, the next band we're covering, very similar, uh, well, not very similar, but uh, very much connected to Alcest. This is Amasurs. Amasurs were formed in 2004 and split up in 2009. They released in their career a total of one EP and one album. Um, and we're covering their self-titled 2009 album um, on Co 666 Records. Amasurs are Niche and Winterhalter, drummer and guitarist of Alcest, with Audrey S on vocals and piano, and uh, Fursi of uh, Les Discret on guitars and bass. Uh, Niche also does vocals, guitars and bass on on this album. Um, so this came out just before the Alcest album we just talked about, and you, I think you can kind of see this, it was clearly at this point in time not clear which of Niche's projects would kind of explode out there. This, although it's got a lot of elements of the Alcest sound, um, I feel this is a very different band. Whereas Alcest is very much rooted in nature and the spiritual, Amasurs is far more grimy and industrial. Like, so the overall sound of um, Amasurs is this kind of post-rock meets black metal meets post-punk with... Niche does some screams in it, but the vocals are mainly led by Audrey, who does these kind of very pop vocals. Like, not massively high-pitched or anything, uh, and not particularly technically advanced, but just the her, the, her vocal delivery really sounds like that kind of post-punk, rocky female singer. And it's really interesting how that sits in in with this band. So the album starts with an absolute masterpiece of an intro. Like, normally, I think intros can let down an album. But the the five-minute intro track, Gas in the Veins, which is a slow-building instrumental, is monumental. It's the way it adds and just gets more complex and builds the atmosphere and tension is quite incredible. I wouldn't even know what genre to put this in, but it's just one of those things where you just, as soon as you hear it, you lock in with the kind of feel of the album. And that so that eventually builds and gives way to the, the first um, track of the album with any vocals. And, the, and that first track goes from this massively building kind of dramatic intro into the kind of one of the most poppy songs of the album. Like, this song just has kind of like gentle guitar throughout the drums never like are never particularly quick it's just like kind of just gently keeping the beat and it's mainly about Audrey's vocals on this and after that track we get Hurt which is more of an interesting one because Audrey's vocals stay very much the same except with a layer of distortion on them but then the drums are like almost doing this kind of black metal blast beat with these very clean almost pop vocals and the guitars sit kind of more on the rock end of the scale but it's just the drums producing this this brilliant um kind of black metal kind of sound and the drums on this album sound fantastic i absolutely love the snare sound of this album like it's a really great performance by winterhalter and as if in 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 that kind of build uh track four recruitment um is a much longer piece where niege very much uh leads on it doing these kind of super high screams it's far more far more aggressive. This sounds like 
proper black metal now, like the guitar sounds so much heavier. But then, then it pulls back again and we go back to the kind of the more clean singing. And this album lurches to and fro quite bizarrely. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge amount of change in it. Also, another element that is very far removed from the kind of Alice's sound is between tracks, we get a lot of these kind of like very industrial noises, just strange, like metallic scraping sounds. Uh, and then, like, often these will go on for a bit too long and then suddenly give way to beautiful, clean guitars and clean vocals. Like, um, I think just before Video Girl, towards the end of the album, Video Girl, as you kind of guess from the name, is a very poppy song. Um, but it, it comes out of this extremely harsh noise. And this album keeps moving between this... Um, between these kind of multiple sounds. And, and each song will pick in elements elements of black metal and elements of post-punk kind of sound to mix up and try something new with. It, it's a seriously interesting album. There's not much like this. And as well, because the first, like, the first, like, 15 minutes or so of this album are quite melodic and accessible, I always think it's an acceptable album to play around other people. So I, like, I'll put this on when I'm hanging out with friends and then forget that halfway through the album it descends into full-on full blasting black metal. And, you know, a lot of normal folk can't really get on board with that kind of thing. Um, there's moments of absolute beautiful melody. Track 10, the title track, is... Um, so catchy, so ridiculously... Like the main guitar melody from it is so ridiculously memorable. And this also diverges quite a lot from Alsace in we don't have the multiple interlocking melody lines. It's often there's one main guitar melody and then the kind of vocals sit above that. With Alsace as well, your vocals are very down in the mix, whereas vocals are far more front and centre with this band. Um... It's a shame as well because they, they broke up because I think all the members of the band had completely different ideas about where they wanted to take the sound. And because because houses hadn't fully like sort of taken off and spread their wings at this point, I imagine Niege might have been pushing this more in a similar direction. I can only speculate, really. But, you know, this album was a brilliant kind of one-off and I'm really glad it happened. Apparently the, the band performed once live, so... It doesn't have that Alsace thing of like we got no idea if this could have if this could have been reproduced live because they performed before this album even came out. Um, yeah, there's not a huge amount more to say on this. I think like it's a really interesting piece of music. I would I would highly advise going and spending some time on it because you're never going to hear anything quite like this, and it it doesn't just just because you know Alsace, you don't necessarily know this. It would be possible. To think the bands are unrelated, there is enough difference in sound. Um, because I can't give you a track that resembles what this album sounds like, I think I'm just going to play a bit of the intro, Gas in the Veins, because if that doesn't inspire you to continue listening to the album, then this album probably isn't for you.
fourth album we're covering today is Archonophalsus Orthodoxin. Archonophalsus were formed, she's similar to quite a lot of the other bands we're talking about, around 1997. And uh, so far I've done four albums. This is the fourth and final so far of their albums. Released on Osmo Productions uh, back in 2007. Um, Archon are, I guess, black and death metal, or kind of the other way around, like death and black metal. It's not really a thing, but I'd say sit more in the black metal camp than they do in the death metal, although they, they pick hugely from a lot of the kind of classic tropes of both genres. Just kind of aesthetically atmospherically and image yeah like the kind of general band image wise they very much feel uh like a black metal band lyrics as well very much in that kind of vein so the sound of this band is kind of slightly longer form songs like normally around the six minute length which are just punishing assaults of like really brutal sort of mid-paced death and black metal um normally with quite a quite a thick crushing production the the guitars rather than being that kind of ethereal uh sound it's more just the complete like all frequencies filled wall of noise um drums are these punishing i think probably slightly triggered just because of the sheer pace of them like wall of double kicks and fast fills and the vocals i think the vocals will really make this band interesting of the You've got two vocalists, uh, both uh, DK Deviant and 666 Torturer, who's, who are bassists and guitarists, respectively. Both do vocals. Sorry, I think the other way around, Deviant's the guitarist. And one of them's got this really high-pitched, like, kind of gurgling, aggressive, like, really throaty black metal roar. And then the other, the other member has this way more, like, impenetrable, like, almost... Yeah, super guttural death metal sound. Like, you know, couldn't discern any lyrics, but it's just that kind of low bass noise. And they're, like, regularly overlapping these two sounds makes for a really just interesting noise because they're both excellent vocalists who can near enough lead a band on these vocals without the other. But the mix of the two of them is really, really interesting. And they just compose really interesting kind of vocal patterns to go along with the songs. Songs as they go are kind of um, quite good at regularly changing up pace. So they have a lot of like faster, blastier moments, really fast pick guitar that will slow into slightly more melodic passages of one just like sinister sounding guitar with like the drums just gently building it back up into another huge crushing assault. You you get as well. You get like kind of that that sort of aesthetic of. There's guitar solos, but they're not remotely melodic. There's just like this quick kind of hyper fast pick squealing noise. And everything on this album is kind of designed just to sound brutal, to sound angry and scary and over the top. And while it why I think it's kind of leans more towards black metal, it's like the general atmosphere it creates is that far more kind of it's it's a sinister sound. There's something there's something very scary about the sound they create rather than... Like, basically, I think a good example of what their sound is like is if you know the uh, the band Belfagor, these guys kind of sound like what I think Belfagor are going for, 
but never strained to the kind of line of ridiculous Belphegor, like ridiculousness Belphegor have. This is far more grounded and really hits the atmosphere it's going for. The lyrics are like lots of very satanic sounding stuff. I think lots of like Latin titles, um, uh, ma- like Magnificat Satanas, um, uh, Trigramation. And then, then stuff like in English, like when they have called uh, behind the husk of faith, like, like it's you know standard black metal fodder. But the way it's presented, like you're never going to understand what these vocalists are saying anyway. I don't think you need to focus on the lyrics too heavily. And they do bring in really interesting things, like in the middle of behind the husk of faith. Um, there's a bit where it all goes really quiet, apart from this one really sinister guitar melody and then there's like kind of the voice of what sounds like kind of an american preacher talking over it while it slowly builds back into kind of the more kind of blasting insanity and it's just creepy sounding music it's just really but really builds and slows well i love a band that can do a lot of change of pace like this where you kind of you never know quite what's coming next from a song with um, Arkin and Faustus, unfortunately, they broke up around 2009, although have recently reformed, although it's just DK, um, the vocalist and guitarist, who seems to be leading them at the moment. So I don't think it's got any of the... We haven't got any of the older lineup. So I don't know quite what that's going to sound like, but I'm very open to this band coming back because I think they are a, a really interesting force. Like... There's plenty of bands that do black and death metal, but these are definitely kind of cream of the crop. They, as I say, don't tend towards the ridiculous, whereas this genre definitely can. Um, so they've got four other albums. They're all kind of more or less in this vein. The the one before this, Filth Catalyst, is also absolutely excellent. Um, they don't really hold a huge amount of surprises, but they really will hold your attention when they're going. This album's about 50 minutes long, and like nine nine proper tracks on it. And I don't get bored. They don't repeat themselves. There's enough variation between songs that you kind of stay very much engaged. Uh, the the final track is like an instrumental outro that just brings it all to a kind of a nice heavy like hefty close. And it's not the kind of instrumental where it descends into just like synth noise and so on. Like this is just crushing guitars, more just really hefty sounding uh, production going on. The whole album has this beautiful kind of, beautiful is the wrong word, but, you know, really well done production where the drums are very up front and centre as they should be. The guitars really cut through nicely. Like, there's, for for a sound that could be very noisy and messy, they lock it down perfectly. The guitar tone to this album is one of the things that really makes it. It just, this really solid, thick sound, which I think you need in this kind of, band like to get the guitar sounding in such a way where it's still hugely distorted but there's still like enough low end in there that it just really fills out the overall sound um yeah just i found this like highly impressive and it's a shame sort of as i got into them they they sort of burnt out but you know they're back i think they're i think they might be playing hellfest this year so yeah that's like really interesting the one thing I'd say is a bit of a letdown with these guys is, unlike uh, most of the other bands we've covered today, not very good album covers. They're just 
they're fine, but they just don't don't really do anything. They they're not particularly evocative of anything. Um, but yeah, I, I would highly recommend checking this out if you're more into the kind of brutal side of um, of black metal. If you want more of the, I guess, the war black metal sound, that kind of very angry, aggressive, in-your-face noise, this isn't, isn't highly atmospheric, although it's still got the atmosphere there, which I think is what pulls it into the black metal category, because... With black metal, you need to really evoke an emotion throughout, and the, and this certainly does. Although it's mainly quite a hateful emotion, um, I could go, have gone for pretty much any of those. Like the whole album's really high quality, but um, I think I'll go for something off the first track, Trigramation. <laughs>
Okay, so we're getting into the final albums we're going to cover for today. Um, although, do stick around because there's going to be, as I mentioned earlier, Voitai and released their EP earlier this um well, this month, I think it was about two weeks ago. So there'll be a bit of a very, very nepotism corner at, right at the end of this. So make sure you hang around after it. But the band we're going to get into now is one of my favourite of the kind of French black metal scene. One of the most inventive as well, I think. This is Blutus Nord. Uh, they formed around 1994 and we're going to cover their 8th through 10th album of 12 albums they got out so far. Um, this kind of shows how ridiculously um, active this band are. So they've got 12 albums and about as many EPs as well. Um, and they're all very, very different. Like, sort of, there's a lot of... Actually, there's a couple of trilogies in there of albums in a very similar vein. So the albums we're covering are the 777 trilogy. So it's three albums that all flow into each other. Like... I, before we go much further, I say this is best listened to as one continuous piece. It's about two hours ten minutes long, so it's um, a hell of an undertaking to sit through it in one one sitting. But I would really highly advise it. So, Blues Nord is mostly the kind of brainchild of Vinzval, who is like the vocalist, main songwriter, and main instrumentalist for the project. There are now four members in the band, and there's another guy who's worked very closely with since like the very beginning. But with the 777 trilogy, uh, he wanted to work completely by himself because he felt it was a hugely personal journey he wanted to go on. And and that that's really cool. Like um so there is a certain stripped backness about the sound versus some of their other albums because it's entirely performed by this one guy who doesn't play drums, the drums are I believe, entirely programmed for this. So we get into Bluetooth Nord, like, they started back, like, the first proper release, I think I said they formed in 96, they formed in 94. First proper release was Ultima Fuli back in 95, and then they, they sort of slowly released more and more albums, but they're all a bit different. So the first album's quite quite traditional black metal. I think it was composed when... Uh, Vinsville was about 15, which is ridiculous. Then you get part of one of their other great trilogies, like a, a trilogy I'd highly recommend listening to some entries in, uh, Memoria Vesta One, um, which is kind of, um, I'd say it's slightly folky. There's like a real sound that's like very evocative of the woods and so on in it. But also there's some like almost classic rock elements and very beautiful passage of lead guitar in there and so on. Like, yeah, it's really interesting release. I think uh, Dialogue with Stars and Saturnay in Poetry, the two follow-ups to that, are absolutely brilliant. Who Those come out either side of this uh, this trilogy. Um, back, the kind of inspiration for the 777 trilogy, though, was their fourth album, The Work Which Transforms God, which got into a more kind of industrial metal kind of vibe. There's some... This is far more mechanical sounding. It's um, it's got a lot of really oppressive elements to it. This is like, so. This like the first of the seven 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 trilogy, Sex, um, very much evokes that kind of sound we we're talking about with Despel Omega, but not quite so far. That kind of super oppressive complex crushing wall of noise where you sort of struggle to pick out any particular 
particular um, sort of melody line or hook in the album. It's just all a huge, crushing wave of sound. Particularly the first of the, the trilogy, Sex, um, really focuses on that chaotic noise. The sort of difference between it is this is far more... Where both albums have programmed drums, this is far more electronic sounding. He, he's at no point trying to make these drums real. They sound far more mechanical. They have like this sort of slight ring and echo to them, which is obviously completely intentional. Like, but they they sound like this kind of machine, kind of driving the music forward. On top of it, Vinsel does these like very harsh uh, black metal screams, and the guitars are all really crushing like wall of sound kind of thing like, this isn't kind of particularly thin and w with with this album like it's very hard to pick out exactly what any of the guitars are doing it's all just a huge wall of sound there's there's kind of layers of synth on top adding kind of atmospheric lines to it i'd say it's all a wall of sound there's many points where it's all a wall of sound but then it also descends into these more melancholic melody passages um where so it the the album plays beautifully as one piece actually it's split into six tracks epitome one through six or um roman numerals one through six um and they all sort of flow together and there's a lot of changes of paces a lot of moves between heavy and lighter although this album particularly always very much focus on the dissonant, on the kind of the more horrific. I think this was meant to be the hard to grasp part of their sound. So to give you a hint of it, I'll drop a little clip of it in here. Follow-up to Sex, The Desanctification, um, follows a similar trend. It's another 
album around 45 minutes long. It's split into seven tracks this time, Epitome 7 through 13. All the, all the songs are called Epitome, then a number. Hence why I say, like, the perfect way to listen to this is just hear Epitome in full. Um, or, sorry, I keep saying Epitome, it's Epitome. Um, shows how much attention I've been paying to the lyrics. Um, we, we've blue to snort as well, like, um... Vince Val has always kept the lyrics secret for most of the stuff. You can find some of them out and about, but um, he the the project is very personal to him, and he's kind of kept himself largely away from it. Like this band don't play live, unlike Desperate Lambert, they do do plenty of interviews and so on. And actually, I've discovered um, this guy is able to make a career out of doing music, which I assume must be doing stuff far removed from Blues to Snort because. I don't understand how a band who don't tour could actually make money. I believe he teaches guitar as well. But it does explain, with, without the playing live, quite how um, how uh, he's able to create so much. Like, he's always said, like, um, the, this is kind of like an outlet he needs to have. Like, he's one of those people who's just compelled to compose and write all the time but has very interesting ideas on it as well like i remember reading an interview where he was asked about what kind of gear he uses and he's like i don't really see the gear as important it's all about just creating a sound like he very wants to very much wants to remove any idea of there being musicians behind this from the work which which is fantastic like that really fits with this kind of piece especially when i'm so like as i'm saying like you don't follow necessarily anything that's happening on the albums it's more you're just brought along on kind of an emotional atmospheric journey and with um the desanctification um we move into quite a different sound from sex actually this is a far more atmospheric part of it it's it's kind of much more slow um by comparison it's not as um totally oppressive there's much more kind of melancholy and like sadness like, like beyond melancholy is like a lot of the riffs sound incredibly sadness i'd say there's much more layering of keyboards over the top of what's going on here the sound's still very similar like i think if you'd stuck a track from this on the end of the previous album i wouldn't have known the difference the other the other kind of thing with these albums is the production is quite rough here by comparison to a lot of the other stuff and this is true of a lot of blues to snored because I get the impression a lot of it's done relatively low budget, and, and they they don't seem like hyper perfectionists. Like there is a real rawness to the albums. If you listen to say something like Dialogue with Stars, um, despite the kind of beauty and complexity of the, produ- the 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 kind of recording, like there's there is a lot of kind of almost flaws in it, and it kind of just lends to it. I, I think it it gives it a very natural vibe, and on this the kind of slight lack of clarity in places really plays nicely into the the kind of letting it become an atmospheric thing rather than an exploration of you know musicians playing cool riffs and there's a lot of interesting builds and falls in this uh, the instruction is saying as well that possibly this does exist on other albums and i'm just not remembering well i haven't listened to much of their other stuff recently other than these three we we get some of the First examples of uh, Vinswell doing clean vocals, and um, they're they're kind of very traditional rock vocals, but he mixes them in such a way they're kind of slightly surprising, and they kind of fit with the music really nicely. Is like just a different source of melody going on, and these these aren't 
these are kind of low in the mix as well, and much like, say, a band like Alcest, you can't really hear what he's saying. Like, it keeps the, the lyrics are very much, you know, kept out of it as well. Um, yeah, like... Actually, yeah, I'm just looking through the the, the booklet for the uh, first album, Sex, and there are lyrics. Uh, I don't think any of them... No, none of them are in English, but I don't think that's the important thing with these. I think you're meant to just be taken on the journey, and... Desanctification really has a lot of interesting stuff going on. It was bizarrely released the same year as Sex, as well as, I think, two of the three-part EP series. Um, let see, I've written down the name of it anywhere. Uh, they're, but they're, I haven't actually heard any of them. They're three EPs that were released along the same time as these. So the, the sheer work ethic of the guy is truly incredible. I don't know how you can compose more than two albums by yourself in one year and then so and soon after we'll get to the final like, concluding part of this i'm just show the difference between the two sounds i'll drop a little clip of epitome um of one of the epitome parts from this album
finally brings us to the conclusion of the album, uh, Cosmophy. Uh, this came out in 2012, so it's still, like, within the same time period. It's just ridiculous, the kind of, the amount of stuff here. And this only features five tracks. And I think it's possibly the most interesting of all all three parts of this um, this concept, where... It's the most melodic by far, and we get a lot more kind of different textures in there. There's far more parts that are entirely led by by synths and atmospheric noises. Like, there is long sections where there is no guitar or vocals. And then we get some really interesting stuff. Like, at one point, there's like an electronic uh, drum beat over... And over the top, there's like almost almost kind of rapping. But it sort of really works, and this builds into another one of the heavier parts. And actually, there's loads more clean vocals on this um, this recording as well. Like, it, the clean vocal performance as well is spectacularly better than it was on the previous one. They're actually very impressive. Um, and yeah, it's something I, I hope to hear more of in future music by Bluetooth Snord. As I said before, I far from listened to everything they put out because they are in, they're in a similar vein to Oliver in that regard of. Each time they release an album, it's completely new and surprising. It, you, you never know what's coming next. Even in these trilogies, they really vary things up and decide like to go in quite different directions within the framework of the sound. Um, uh, they're not quite as far removed from black metal as um, as uh, Oliver can be. But I'd say everything I've heard from Blue to Snort is very much still black metal, whereas like, these albums... Definitely have elements of kind of atmospheric post metal and even elements of death metal in there, but overall still very much rooted in the core of black metal. I think a lot of that is the way it's produced and the way Vinzval does vocals. He's classic black metal. Like his vocals aren't truly incredible or anything, but they certainly lend the correct atmosphere to this album. Cosmophy as well, like I feel, actually has some really interesting. Whereas the the first album's kind of scary, the second album's kind of sad. This album actually has some beautiful like hope spots. Quite a kind of terrifying ending, but there is moments of like almost Alcesty joyousness, especially in those longer synth passages or clean vocal led passages. And also, don't let that give the impression this isn't heavy. This is still a very dark, very complex, terrifying album in its own way. Something I should say as well, the covers to these albums are absolutely brilliant. Like, they are three very different images that sort of brilliantly evoke the music. It's one of these things, I, with these albums, I like looking at the cover while listening to them because I feel the images go along with it so well. There seems to be a lot of, um, kind of a culty themes around them, lots of triangles and... Um, religious symbols and so on but they're all very very different like the first one is this kind of like complex like anatomy drawing overlaid these kind of beautiful gold triangle symbols over like a starscape a very complex picture whereas the second one desanctification is this really bright kind of gold silver and blue um complex affair and then the final one cosmophy is this kind of crawling like the the cover is kind of white but then from the top of the cover is this like crawling mess of chaotic images all quite 
quite photorealistic looking. It's a very striking image. And this is something true through most of their career. I, I really love the kind of imagery this band goes for. And because as musicians they separate themselves so far from the music, it has this really interesting effect of... Um, yeah, you're able to just engage with the final product that bit more. Um, although, as far as I can tell, like the interviews I read, they they do seem like cool guys. They don't seem like absolute elitist nightmares, which can be said of a lot of black metal studio project types. I highly recommend you give this a go, though. I think possibly these... I don't think they're the best work this man's ever done, but I think it's really interesting. I haven't seen many... Uh, well, I can't think of many examples of a really interesting triple album. As, uh, I know essentially they released three separate discs, but if you can sit down and give this time, the emotional payoff of going through this journey is well worth it. Um, the, it there's just so much happening here. And it comes to a point of like what I'd kind of say about getting into black metal as a whole. If you're someone who's sort of newer to the genre and trying to find your hook in it, especially if you come from other bits of metal, like uh, kind of stuff like death metal and the more extreme end of thrash. Black metal takes a while to get your head around because you're not looking for the same things in it, I would say, as you'd look for in death metal. Death metal's largely about riffs and hooks and kind of, you know, like bits you can headbang to and bits that sound powerful and punishing. Whereas black metal is far more rooted in atmosphere and feeling and a lot of what you want to do when listening to black metal is remove yourself from the riffs and just sort of let it wash over you and let it take you somewhere same is sort of true of the more extreme end of say like funeral doom that kind of stuff where you just want to go on a journey with it and that's why i think so we've shown you today like five completely different bands but i think they all have like a root of similarity in that they all have that kind of very atmospheric edge to them that couldn't be anything other than black metal and i feel like this shows how france is kind of massively pushing the genre forward we're talking sort of you know kind of mid 2000s all these albums came out and they're all brilliant masterpieces in their own right that all sound very very different and all trying something new. And realistically, we're only scratching the surface. Like, most of the bands we covered today, particularly Blues of Snored and Alcest, I'd like to dive in and look at other albums of theirs because they're very different to what we covered. Um, but we are, we are talking about... We've probably talked about at least three of, like, the most popular French black metal bands. There is loads deeper below the surface that's really interesting as well. And, you, and you've got completely like, oddball stuff in there as well that sort of touches on black metal i guess like if you listen to a band like phasm who have mixed like kind of traditional american blues with black metal it's really strange sounding um or say a band like um igor who have mixed it with like hardcore breakbeat kind of music and yeah just really intense weird stuff but then you've got a lot more in the vein of um arkin and faust just like impiety or hell militia that are not in party and Teus. I don't know why I always get those two confused. In party from Singapore, very good as well, but completely unrelated. But yeah, but those those are both bands who go for that more kind of brutal in your face black metal. There's loads of really fascinating stuff there, and there's loads I've never come across. So definitely hit me up and like, you, 
let me know what your kind of absolute favorites of the genre are like there's there's going to be great albums i've and bands i've not touched on at all here and actually let me know what your favorite sort of Bluetooth nord or decibel omega releases are because i with with a lot of these bands i've only scratched the surface like alsis i think the only one we've been talking about today where i've heard like everything they've put out including all their live albums and Lots else I'm completely obsessed. But Blues is an order one I particularly want to dive into. And let's say Despel Omega, we didn't mention, they have hundreds of EPs. And, not hundreds, they got about, they got about as many EPs as they do albums, and I've never heard any of the EPs. So I really want to go have a look with that. So we'll, le- we'll leave you with from the Black Metal section with kind of some of the conclusions to the album. This will be a track off Cosmophy. As I say, hang around at the end, because I'll be plugging some other shit I'm doing at the moment. done the black metal i'm saying completely unrelated but because it's just come out and i'm super excited about it i want to share it with you guys um so as i said me and rob haven't had quite as much time to dedicate to doing the podcast recently because we've been working really hard on our band void titan we're a kind of like death metal slash doom band 
I think the sound we were going for is kind of combining a lot of that old school Swedish death metal sound with elements of bands like Triptychon and Evoken. So it's like very, the music is very slow. It doesn't have blast beats. Our drummer can't do a blast beat and it's not something we're aiming for. And it's quite untechnical and unpolished in the vein of a lot of those old Swedish albums. Like we've been going for a very raw sound. So we recently managed to release our first EP entitled Harbinger and it's a 20 minute EP it was recorded in a decent studio, but we went for a very raw sound. Almost all the vocals and guitar are the first take with like the ever so slightest tweaks. And Zam is a really good representation of what we sound like live. Like, obviously, you're completely blowing my own trumpet, but it's a nepotism corner. There's no way I'm not. Uh, we we've like come off some quite successful support shows recently. Like we we've supported uh, the. American kind of Swedish death metal style giants Necrot and that was quite an incredible gig. We've supported um, the more kind of atmospheric doomy band Mammothweed Wizard Bastard. This Monday we're supporting the American sludge metal band Fistula. As this list might be giving you the hint, uh, no one knows what bill to put us on. We kind of sound heavy but we're, we're too slow to be on death metal bills. We're too death metal to be on doom bills. Also doom bills half the time end up being stoner bills it's confusing but yeah things seem to be going well for us but yeah i really want to plug this because i think it's i am really proud of what we've done here um we're probably going to be going into the studio and recording a a full album sometime in the new year it's all completely written at this stage we're just just trying to get tight enough and ready to do that also happy to learn from the mistakes of this one i think although we want to go through a raw kind of close to live sound I think we probably went a bit too raw and actually we, it doesn't sound like we're in a professional studio because, you know, it's all very rough and ready. But anyway, to uh, to play us out from this, uh, I guess I'll leave you with... <laughs> the problem is it's it's two nine-minute-long tracks and a four-minute-long track. I guess I, we'll have to play the four-minute-long title track then. So we'll play us out with Harbinger. As I say, please hit us up, get in touch, um, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook. Um, if you want to email and send like longer form kind of message, uh, you can get us at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. I'm going to be back on the Facebook page and Twitter page a lot more now. Like I'm definitely with this hoping to kick it off again. And let, let me know what you think of me doing this by myself. Does this work at all or, or is it too kind of dry I, I know it's definitely lacking some of the humor we usually have so who knows but yeah this is this is my idea for keeping things going when i don't have as many sort of other hosts available and don't worry rob's not going anywhere he will definitely be back for more episodes it's just you know super overworked at the moment so uh yeah this is a this is a bit of harbinger